0: Compared to the, uh, the the TOS and the TNG movies, Clay, where the this flew by. We're done with the Kelvin mm. movies after <laughs> this is done. There's only there's only three of them, but for some reason, I, I feel like we've um like we're barely embedded into this universe or something like that. I yeah. feel like I, I walked away with not a great sense of what the Kelvin universe was all about, even though I thought I had a pretty good sense of what the uh, the ten TOS and TNG movies gave well, me for yeah, a sense I of mean, feeling. You've
1: got, you do have ten movies and. Uh... S- ten seasons of television. So to go many, off for that so one. many.
0: Yeah, this is this is a little bit different though. There's only the three, and now we're going to be talking about Star Trek Beyond uh, for this one. But yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. Like I, I feel like mm. we didn't even record these quicker than normal, but it, it's over very quickly. It, it before yeah. it even feels like it begins,
1: it's over. Well, you know what's funny about this, uh, the Kelvin movies, this one especially, is it kind of suffers from. Um, uh daniel craig or i should say latter years james bond disease where it's like for whatever reason they very quickly go to uh the main character wants to quit mm-hmm. and 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 i feel like that gives you it, it sort of After takes away starting.
0: like he starts and then he yeah. quits in the next movie yeah
1: yeah and, and it kind of takes away this sense of like the the world that you should be seeing yeah because you know james bond is supposed to be this this you know spy who's going on adventures and stuff but in this first movie or the second movie he's like yeah i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> and so it so every movie turns out into him being like i don't want to do this but reluctantly i will for the sake of the country or whatever it's really just um, the um
0: the error that they're made in right like the lack yes, of institutional yeah. trust is now the big thing that you put into these movies so he's the same with star trek they're dealing with like a corrupt organization or something that does not yeah engender them to stay involved in it
1: yeah, even the second one of the Kelvin movies, uh, Star- the head of Starfleet is a fucking bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you can't trust them. It's like, well, okay, well, that's sort of the linchpin of the whole concept. And undermining that isn't really doing you a lot of favors after one movie. Yeah,
0: cuts it short. We're talking about Star Trek Beyond. I'm going to take a break. We'll play some music, and then we'll come back and get right into it. Okay, so Star Trek Beyond is the third of the Kelvin movies. It's the 13th of 13 Star Trek films at this point in time when we're recording this in 2020. Written by Simon Pegg and Doug Young. Directed by Justin Lin. Produced by J.J. Abrams, Ryan Burke, Jeffrey Chernov, David Ellison, and Roberto Ursi. In this movie... After stopping off at Starbase Yorktown, a remote outpost on the fringes of Federation space, the USS Enterprise, halfway into its five-year mission, is destroyed by a powerful, unstoppable wave of unknown aliens. With the crew stranded on an unknown planet with no apparent means of rescue, they find themselves in conflict with a new, ruthless enemy who has a well-earned hatred of the Federation and what it stands for. Boy, the memory alpha blurbs for the movies really struggle to get all the the information in within (laughs) as few sentences as possible. At least...
1: At least this one, and I think this is a a, a a good place to to start about why I like this one more so much more than the last one. Is it's fairly straightforward. Like, there's you hit like a couple beats in that in that uh, um, breakdown, and you more or less get what's going on. Whereas the last one, we had an entire sub conversation on Discord about what the plot actually was.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Um. I think. I'd never seen this one before. I know you had seen it. Um, this is like clearly the best of the Kelvin movies, I think. Yeah, right. And like no uncertain terms. And a lot of it. And
1: nobody ever said, nobody talks about it. It's yeah, like it came yeah. out. It kind of was forget, people forgot about it. It lost Even money. people who, yeah, people who did see it didn't particularly like it. And I remember watching it going like, this is the best one by far.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and. Maybe that's damning with faint praise. Like, I, I don't think this is a blockbuster blow me away movie, but it's by far sure. the most competent out of all the movies that they put out. Um, I like, I think, I think this movie in virtually all technical aspects is better than the Abrams 2 that he did. Yeah. It's better directed. The script is better. The acting is better. The scenes that you get are better. The visuals mm-hmm. are better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the use of the, uh, reluctantly, I have to say, the use of the Beastie Boys is better. Yeah, like it actually works. When you see the trailer, you think it's just kind of a hokey idea, but it actually ties into the, the story
1: really well yeah. done. Yeah. it's really interesting. As you would think stuff like that should, instead of just using it as a, a hip needle drop Right, in a, a trailer,
0: scene. a trailer track, yeah. Yeah, Sabotage is... um. <laughs> And and maybe it's a little heavy-handed in that the name of the song is sabotage and what they're doing is sabotaging the droid, the little uh, swarm army or whatever. But yeah, Mm. I I was I was really impressed with this one. I thought that I was sort of confused that this, not really confused, but like to me, if you were to redo this, this feels like it's the second movie of the trilogy for them. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they blow up the Enterprise or whatever, but that that seems just like the the stakes that have to be that case. But I, I felt like. This one, to me, just the way it starts off and everything and the way that the tone of the movie is and the way that the scenes are set up is more about like where the characters have kind of settled into after the first Mm. movie with each other. And they know each other. They have conversations with each other. This movie blew me away because it just showed and highlighted how few good character interactions there are in the first two Abrams movies. The characters don't talk to each other at all. right? And I guess that's a... That's an Abrams thing because everyone's complaining about the Star Wars movies. He separated the main characters, which is kind of unfair because I think they do that in Empire, too. It's not like it's an right, unheard of yeah. thing in Star Wars. But yeah. Abrams seems to really like separating cast members, from like characters in the story, from each other.
1: Starfleet Command, send me your application for the Vice Admiral position here at this installation. Yes, ma'am. Um, if I may, I would... Recommend Commander Spock replace me as captain of the Enterprise. He is an exemplary
0: Starfleet officer. He'd make a great captain. It isn't uncommon, you know, even for a captain to want to leave. There's no relative direction in the vastness of space.
1: There's only yourself, your ship, your crew. It's easier than you think. To get lost. It's not I'll bad. bring it up with the general counsel. We'll discuss it when you return. ma'am. Yeah, I I always found that to be a little unfair. Uh, because the first one is, you know, the story is about getting them together. So you're it's going to take a longer time to, to coalesce everybody. You're talking
0: about Star Wars here. Just, yeah. Instead of, you're oh, not talking uh, no, about well, Star Trek, too. Oh, I mean, Star they, Trek, they, too. The, okay.
1: You know, uh, both of them, you can... Look at them and say the same thing. Where they they're about putting your team together, essentially. You know the 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 first Abrams Star Trek ends or drives towards everybody being on on the Enterprise at the same time. Um, The second one is I don't think they split. uh, They don't really split them up that much. The only person they split up out of the group is Scotty in the second one. Yeah, well, I feel this one.
0: I feel that they. What they do is because the action is so intense and nonstop, they don't mm. really have character interactions as much as telling oh, yes. each other that what's I, going on.
1: Yeah, that I will 100% agree with. Because in this one, if you really want to look at the three of them, they split people up more in this one than they do the first two. Because yes. they blow the ship up and then they scatter everybody across the planet. But they pair them um, with others. Like right.
0: they, ju- they just cut down on... It's not a big group scene. It's just one-on-one scenes with each other.
1: Right. Yeah. And so I think, I think the criticism... Uh, for Abrams is less that he splits the characters up because I think that's just a necessity of storytelling to a certain point, and and that and and uh, it should be what you're saying, which is he's not really giving them room to breathe and interact with each other because everything moves so fast and everything is so it's you know you're pushing everybody in different directions. So while they are on the same ship, they're just sort of you know barking at each other as they pass in the hallway. Yeah. Um, whereas in this one. You actually get scenes. You get room to breathe. Uh, The recontextualizing of Kirk's birthday in relationship to his dad dying is, I think that scene's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. That also Um, feels very
0: much, um, that's almost like a holdover from The Cage, where the captain and the doctor are drinking in the cage pilot um, together. mm. That that felt very appropriate that they, uh, if they're redoing this era of Star Trek, that those characters drink together. It seems very much a TOS idea.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's it's just smart in the way that they split them up and like the groups that they put together. Like putting Spock and, and McCoy together is fantastic. I wonder, I do wonder if uh, I don't, I might be making this up, but I, I have this memory that Carl Car- Urban almost didn't do this movie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had that in the back of my mind as I was watching this and I was going. There's a lot of bones in this movie. Like yes. he has a lot to do, much more than the first two. And I wonder if that was kind of, you know, part of uh, getting him back. If that if that actually was the case. But Yeah, I I think they only the same,
0: booked uh, Pine and uh Spock's actor. Uh Zachary Quinto? Yeah, Zachary Kento. I think they act, were the only ones with four film contracts. Uh is the difference. Oh really? Yeah. So but obviously they they treated McCoy like a character who doesn't have a returning contract in the first two movies. And yes. we just like, just say quips. And he, yeah. he works here and he plays off of um, Spock really well. That's a pairing that you'd kind of been dying to see. I think Kirk and uh, Chekhov work pretty well together yeah, in terms of like, seasoned ability. And then for comic relief, you pair Scotty with uh, Jayla, the, the new alien, and just have kind of like comic scenes between the two of them.
1: Yeah, and I think I think Jayla's a great character. I think she's a great addition. Um I uh I think that I appreciate uh, so again, going back to what we were talking about in the first two about like why don't they push it further? Um I I'm kind of impressed that in this movie they went with a wholly original villain instead of kind of panicking and if you want to call it that and doing something like really out there and maybe it's maybe it's a, a pendulum swing after the second one they didn't want to do that again but like it's it, you know if you've got this third movie in this big franchise and i think it was like the 50th anniversary when it came out i think
0: yeah they interestingly they didn't release it to coincide with the 50th anniversary which they were saying was a mistake cuz they they released it right in the height of summer blockbuster season mm. and it just got crushed by everything else that was going on around it And the 50th anniversary of TOS is later in the year. It's a fall. I think it's September something. And I I think it would have had, it it would have had more space at the theaters and it would have, um, done some good marketing out of the fact of like, celebrate the 50th
1: with this new movie. That's really dumb that they did. Which
0: is what Skyfall did. Apparently it released on the 50th anniversary of bond and they played that up quite a bit.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a layup. Whoever, whoever's in charge of that that marketing should have been fired. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's no good. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I'm su- a little bit surprised that they didn't do something a little bit more, uh, uh, swing for the fence as far as like, you know, like I said, bring in the Borg or something, you know, something out there that's going to really grab people's attention. They made this kind of, uh, quieter, if you want to use that term, story involving a wholly new villain that, uh, works on, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, um, Continuity, yeah yeah um so it's like it's it's going it's going in the face of the last one by expressly saying that this happens in continuity with all the other stuff um and uh pulling it off i and 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 they they that's not to say it's not full of action because it is, and I think the action in this is by far the best action in any any of the three movies
0: yes by far J- Justin Lynn is uh, the fast and the furious director and he's just a better action director than a yeah. is.
1: And it's more inventive. Like, all, every scene, every action scene is different from the next one. Uh, the only one that's a little bit meh to me is probably the the uh, motorcycle rescue. That mm-hmm. one's, you know, whatever. But, like, as far as those buzzsaw things, cutting the Enterprise in half, or the stuff that they're doing with uh, orientation as the ship is crashing, yep. or flipping over, it's it's amazing. And I mean, that final fight scene with uh, 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 Diana Krall, in the uh uh the gravity well yeah, thing at the yeah. end that's really cool it's just it's a really inventive well done movie
0: yeah it's it's got a lot um it, it, and, and the I, costumes
1: look great too they redesigned the uniforms a little bit and i think yeah. they look fantastic
0: yeah they do they, they look nice and they they wear their uh, their jackets when they're down on the the planet actually it's, mm. it's a nice mix of two things but the the enterprise um uniforms do look more like throwback uniforms they look nice they they're they're particularly brights when you're when they uh capture them all and they bring them to crawl's planet and they're sort of marching on like that barren icy rockiness the the colors mm. really pop against it it's very uh, yeah. nice looking
1: What's actually interesting to me is they are um the regular like on the ship uniforms the the you know yellow blue and reds are like two clicks closer to discovery but they're not as uh overly designed as discovery Yeah because they're still like they're they're more than just like the T-shirts they're wearing in the first two movies, but they're not quite the. Uh, what if we turn the big yellow shirt into like a really tight yellow jacket? Right. Yeah. And and that's and that's as <laughs> someone who who likes the discovery redesign of the the Tos stuff, I think that looks good. But I actually think this is probably the best compromise.
0: Yes, if you if you're considering original canon, I think because these are just like sort of well fitted. Uh, Long sleeve T shirts that they're wearing, right, um, right, and which, they look
1: a little bit nicer than the ones they wore in the last one, which were just, you know, they were they were yellow shirts with little uh, star insignias printed all over them. Right,
0: yeah. So, um, I think one of the most important things about the Star Trek movies is that they suffer when they have bad villains in them. Unsurprisingly, I think a lot of movies suffer when they have bad villains in them or bad mm-hmm. antagonists or something. Um, I think that. Nero was awful. I think that Khan was not nearly as bad as Nero, but was not really anything impressive in that one, and Admiral Marcus kind of falls into that bucket. What did you think of Krull?
1: Um, I think he's... I like him, but I think he turns into a Star Trek villain too late. Uh, like I, I was, As I was watching this, I, I was thinking about what he was and what he stands for, and I really like that, and I think he is very much a Star Trek villain in the whole of what he is but i feel like if this was the show you would have gotten at least one good scene where crawl has like a dialogue sequence with kirk where they kind of hash out their differences of like uh, uh, ethos and stuff yeah and i so i think that the the twist comes a little too late where i wish you had a little bit more time to sit with exactly what his deal is cuz i think it's i i think him being this um soldier who predates the federation so he's someone who is who's a who's a warrior uh and had to deal with this peacetime thing and uh it doesn't go right for him and so he just he ends up railing against it i think that's great that's a great star trek villain uh it feels it feels like he could be even like a deep space nine character yeah um but he, for the first bunch of it, it is it is mainly like uh, alien monster needs to get the the magic gun.
0: Yeah, um, shoot
1: people with it. Yeah, so I wish they gave him a little bit more to do a little bit earlier.
0: In the in the, if it was an episode, his reveal would have been like the second act information break. They go like they right. you know they show him like oh this is this guy and then you have a couple acts of dealing with him, and having being aware of him. Having
1: seen it before, I knew what the twist was, and I I didn't realize how late it was in the movie. Right. It's like right before they catch him. And it's, in my head It's like I 20 like, minutes oh, from the end. It's right yeah. at
0: the end of the movie, yeah.
1: Yeah, as in my head I remembered it being a lot sooner, like once everybody gets on to the Franklin, I thought that's when that stuff started coming out. I didn't realize it was literally after they crashed the Yorktown. <laughs> <laughs> He's crawls interesting
0: because he um he is kind of two villains. I think, I think on one level, the reason he, he works for me uh, maybe more in the first half of the movie is because they do a better job of writing him uh, in a way that Khan probably should have been written, which is that Krall is a dangerous villain. There's right. like like yeah. it's just he literally destroys the Enterprise. They have technology that they're unaware of. He seems intimidating. He's like he's doing like a Shang Tsung soul sucking maneuver on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes across as threatening and in control and dangerous, and that our heroes are at a disadvantage. And I think that he's the only villain that they really did. Like I didn't even really feel that way with Nero. Nero is just too right. abstract of a threat. I like the but he's twist. He's got that
1: giant spike that he stabs people with. Right, he's he's got his. And he yells really loud before he does it.
0: He, and crawl is better framed in the first half. The twist would have been good, but I agree with you that it happens too late. It, it, the the biggest problem for me that it happening that late is that they have to give so much exposition that it just becomes very bad writing at that point mm. where you have to have this character only talking about what his goals are uh, and things like that. And I would have liked that to have happened earlier. And if if it had happened earlier, he would have been a pretty strong villain overall, I think, because he would have had the best of both worlds in that case, where he is in control uh, of the action in the first act, and then you can get into sort of his motivations in a better way in the second half.
1: Do you do you wish that there was a scene where uh, Kirk introduces himself to Crawl and Crawl's like, "Hi, James, I'm Crawl. <laughs> I'm Balthazar. Nice to meet you." <laughs> now, I, um,
0: what, what's the the only real question I had about this movie was um, the, th- there's, no, there's no explanation for why they look this way, right? It's just a byproduct uh, of the process of soul-sucking?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, it's uh, the My understanding of it is that whatever the technology or the process is that is, is extending his life uh turned him into that monster. Yeah. And he uh, th- the more monstered out he gets, the more like monstrous he gets. Yes. So he needs to like suck souls to pull it back in. But aside from that, they don't really go into it and I don't really think they need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it, it's all for the disguise of what's going on. Um yeah. I guess. And the the only other thing that really confused me is that uh when i was seeing the ships i was like wow there's a lot of these guys everywhere they're all flying the ships they reveal that it's just drone activity Mm -hmm. that's flying most of the ships but i feel you don't get that reveal until very late in it like no one's ever surprised that they like why did they beam into one of the ships that has a guy in it it seems like your odds of doing that are
1: so low oh no i i think the idea is that all of the guys are drones oh all of the soldiers are drones too i think so yes okay
0: that makes sense, and so that's why the only ones that aren't that way don't have helmets on. Those are the original right. three. Okay,
1: yeah, I, I believe that's. I believe that's what it is. I I I don't know if
0: it's a weakness, of script, but that never feels like it's illuminated. Really, like the, yeah. the fact that there's, there's only three uh, Franklin survivors by the end of it. It never it never really lands on screen, except for the fact that you're like, oh, he must be dealing with his lieutenant and that girl because they're you know they're the characters well, who need their helmets off for, I, to see who I, they are.
1: I don't think the other guy I, – I, uh, I think Kral is the only Franklin survivor.
0: No, there's three. I think,
1: I think the other two guys are part of whatever that race is that gave him the, the power to become younger or stay alive.
0: Uh, are they not?
1: I don't, my understanding was that they
0: of the original he, Franklin, there's only the three of them, which are the girl that sort of tricks them
1: at the beginning, his lieutenant who fights Jayla, and then Crawl. Oh, you know, I never, I never even considered that the girl was one of the crew members. Because I, because uh, I, I, the reason I'm saying that I think it's only crawl is because in his captain's log, he, he, when he's still a human, he says he's the only one left.
0: Uh, before his sudden disappearance, he'd been the captain of the Franklin, He was declared missing in action. He, he crashed onto this planet, which had drone equipment and other technology behind. Edison and at least two of his crewmates used the remains of the technology to prolong their lives.
1: Okay, I mean, I, uh, I would debate that, but I'll I'll just I'll uh, assume that that's the case. Yeah,
0: the wording of it makes it just sound like because you see those two characters without their helmets on, those are probably crawls. The the I think Memory Alpha is just making the assumption those are two of the crewmates yeah, who landed. That's with them. what I
1: think it's doing as well, and I don't know if that's actually what it is, but for for sake of argument, let's say sure,
0: sure. Yeah, I was just I'm only mentioning it because I. I didn't realize that all the other guys were drone creatures because right. I just never made that connection. And I was, I was surprised when they make the reveal of there only being so few of them at the end. It was surprising to me because I was, I was wondering how they were marching around in this prison camp without being seen by the billion guards that seemed to be flying the ships right. around and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I, uh, you know what else I really liked, I thought, that was done really inventively was the Universal Translator.
0: Yes, where it, it, it overdubs really cool. <laughs> what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, it. Uh, I thought that was really nice. Um, they do. They do the uh, the modern. I guess. I guess you could call it a modern movie thing. Um, yeah, I would say that it is because they do it all the time in the Avengers movies, which I think is just hilarious. But it's this. Uh, uh, the assuming everybody has an open channel communicator on them at the height of battle, right? Because uh, you know you've got. Kirk climbing up into this thing to fight Kral, and you've got Scotty back at the command center, and you've got uh, Bones in his ship there, and they are all seem to be patched in on the same frequency, even though expressly in this movie they used to flip open communicators. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I I mean, they have to talk to each other. Let's just assume that they have communicators on or something. Hands-free. I I remember uh, in, I think it was Endgame, when everybody starts... Everybody comes out of the the, the thing at the end, and they're fighting Thanos, and they all show up, all patched into whatever radio Captain America has in his ear. Yes. Because, like, from that point on, they're just talking, and they're in the middle of this battle at different points, and they can all hear each other. Yeah. So I guess they just, before they came back from, uh, you know, dust, maybe part of uh, what Hulk said is make sure everybody has an earpiece (laughs) in.
0: I, um... I also think that just in terms of better being better craft work, uh, this story actually does try to stick to a theme fairly well. It it has a theme. I wouldn't say that it like does great guns on it, mostly because uh, crawl is given such short shrift. But the idea is that um, unity is more important than disunity, I suppose, or sort of antagonism towards each other. Mm. And I I think that they do some interesting work of Kirk wanting to quit in. Uh, the middle of his five year mission, they have a good line about uh there's no relative direction in the vastness of space, which is kind of the the point of the movie mm-hmm. I guess is that Kirk is trying to find his way i think I think that the the theme doesn't perfectly tie in with the characters i don't think or it feels maybe overly written uh in some way, but I think that it's it's more of an a, an accomplishment, because I think that Into Darkness was co- such a complete failure of doing that, that this was a little bit of a reinvigoration of the idea of, of making the, it about something uh, Star Trekky and making it fit into that universe.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the three main characters with, with conflicts here, uh, Kirk, Spock, and Kral, uh, they're not all necessarily, they don't all have the same conflict. Uh, but each of them informs the other one in in their uh in how they resolve their own conflict. So I, I wouldn't say that like you know, the the easy way to go is would be making Kral this mirror image of Kirk and having him see the darkness or blah 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 blah. But that's not really what they're doing. Um Kirk has his own reservations about what's going on and he kinda works him he, he kinda works through it through the process and it's not like it's not like Kral uh seeing seeing what crawl has turned into necessarily is is a this dark future for kirk or anything like that right so um, the,
0: yeah the, the, because crawl getting lost in space doesn't seem like it was the impetus for what happened to him like the the seed right. for crawl seems to be from balthazar edison uh, and it just becomes this you know you can say figuratively he's becoming the monster the more that he's isolated and just kind of hanging out by himself thinking about it and stewing in his own juices and things like that but kirk is right. never Kirk, I don't even really understand what Kirk's want to leave is. He seems like he's bored.
1: Basically, is he? Yeah. His
0: opening log is about like, yeah, it's just kind of monotonous. Let's go, to
1: Starbase and do something else. Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the closest I think it comes to to being a one to one is I think that Kirk realizes that. Um. Uh, Baltazar, what's his Edison Edison? Edison. Right? Balthazar Edison, yeah. Yeah, Edison was was a product of a different time who was forced into this position and ultimately rails against it because of that. And I think Kirk kind of re- recognizes that that's not what he is. That's actively what he wants. Kirk is doing what he wants to be doing, uh, and he he kind of I, I he, Kirk is disillusioned, not by Starfleet, but he's disillusioned by his place in Starfleet. And I think what what. Edison's journey shows him is is kind of it reaffirms for him why he's in Starfleet what he's doing there and 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 where he should be going from that point, which I think they kind of they bring it nicely uh in that line he says uh uh something about something about saving a bunch dying saving a bunch of people versus living having killed a bunch they, of them or something taken. yeah yeah yeah, and it's like a nice tie into the 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 stuff with his dad. That he's uh, uh, skewing on at the beginning like. of the movie, and it, yeah, I, so I like that it's not a one to one. We're not so different, you and I, villain. Yep, um, but they do work together fairly nicely to to solve Kirk's problem. From my point of view, the Federation is evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what it is. It's not like he's not like the Federation is evil. He's like this thing sucks. It's not evil. I just hate it, and I don't. I want to do. I. I they did this to me and I want to destroy them because war is the nature of people and it's not peace or whatever. Yes. Yeah.
0: Con- it's a, which is, um, I actually really appreciate, it. I don't know if this was intentional, but during our TOS coverage, a big theme of TOS that no one ever really talks about is, uh, the original series hated hippies. Like it, it hated the, <laughs> the, the hip, the sixties counterculture movement. Yeah. And yeah. it frequently had episodes that were, Kirk stumbles onto a planet where everything there's there's an episode called The Side of Paradise where Kirk stumbles into a alien world that is like idyllic. Like it is everyone's getting mm. along, people are living off the land, everyone's very happy. But it's all because of the influence of these plants on the planet that causes this to happen. <laughs> and yeah. Kirk's counter argument is nothing should be this good for you. Like everything like life is struggle and men are tempered in the fire of struggle. And he Mm. destroys the idyllic situation. And it's a very interesting take for TOS. And this is kind of that Edison has that point of view. And it's a nice tieback or a callback to that thing from
1: TOS. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just a well thought out character. Maybe like he, again, I think they probably could have done a little bit more with him. Um, Because, you know, I think think what is tough is also why is it Idris Elba is interesting. Yeah, I uh, I was listening to Kevin Smith's podcast, and uh, his co-host Mark Bernardin at the time said, "I don't know why you cast a man as beautiful as Idris Elba, and then put him under three pounds of makeup." <laughs> yeah,
0: and have him talk funny, like he's not talking yeah. like Idris Elba; he's talking like an alien. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make much sense at all. Because even when he's um, even when he reverts, he's still a, a weird looking alien version of Edison at the very end. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, and he gets like two lines in that captain's log where he's normal and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, yelling like he's on Yeah, so what he's. Of <laughs>
0: what's funny about that log is that he has his British accent in that. So he, he's he's speaking like he's a Elba and he yeah. loses that accent somewhere along the way over the, uh, the hundred, a couple hundred years or whatever. Yeah, it
1: turns into something more alien, I guess. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting about these movies, uh, I don't mean just these Star Trek movies, but these sort of like big hero big villain movies is the thing that you're losing in a lot of the modern ones i think is the middle point where the villain and the hero come together and kind of like establish their relationship with each other before breaking apart and then crashing together again at the end right um and you don't really get that here there's not really there's no scene i i would say the cl- the stand-in for that scene in this is probably uh Uh, All the talking he does to Uhura, yes,
0: Uhura and Sulu serve the place of Kirk in this, uh,
1: and at (laughs) least in terms of exposing what Edison and then Crawl is up to, right? Which is fine, and you know you got to have the you got to give them something to do, but I think it comes at the sacrifice of of connecting your your hero and your villain at a point that comes before the end of the movie, right? Uh, Like you know if you look at Heat for example, right? Heat is all about. Al Pacino's character chasing down Robert De Niro's character and then ultimately their two paths converge and there's you know they they butt heads uh you know shooting at shooting guns at each other. That movie doesn't really work unless you have that scene in the middle where they literally he pulls him over and they go get a cup of coffee and talk for like 5 minutes. Right. And uh and they do it they do that in all in all the best versions of that story like they do it in Wrath of Khan they uh I'm sure there's many other ones that are not coming out of the top of my head, but the point is like you you kind of need that connection with your with your with your two uh opposing viewpoints um before you can really slam them together at the end and have it be satisfying. They in Wrath of Khan, they're never on the same ship. They never really see each other face to face at all. Yeah. But you do have that convergence of the characters where they do interact and they do kind of like, you know, Put each other's ethos on. Uh, put their cards on the table, so to speak. They have a prior history um, too, because those characters sure. don't meet in that movie. Yeah, and in Heat, there's no prior, uh, no prior uh, relationship. They just, you know, they kind of they they sense each other's presence. They kind of feel what's going on, and then they meet, and they kind of have their uh, they they hash out their positions, and that gives you an idea of how these characters relate to each other. Which leads you into the back half of the movie, which ends with them, you know, finally butting heads. Yeah. Um, I Money wish that go. they. Yeah. Uh, I wish that they did that in this. But like, I don't know how you would do it naturally because. Uh, yeah, I, not having Kirk be captured, I think, is probably the right move. Um, but I don't know how else you would really get the two of them together before the end of the movie
0: why would you say that Kirk not being captured is the right move because i could easily see this movie not changing much if Kirk was captured with the rest of the crew
1: that's true i mean actually you know uh, uh, maybe you yeah. could you could swap out like Sulu and Uhura for Kirk i think and sure i guess i guess it kind of yeah maybe it might it might actually even work a little bit better uh because he's then Positioned with the rest of his crew, who are—I don't know—I I mean, on the one hand, I feel like this—the the, the adventure of this mission is part of what brings Kirk back into the fold, yep. so to speak. Kirk would not
0: have a lot um, to do if he was in that position. Yeah, so yeah.
1: I think—I honestly think it would be a different movie. I think it would be more like a James Bond movie where he's captured for like forty-five minutes, right? Yeah, <laughs> chained to a table with a laser between yeah. his legs. Yeah, and so then you'd get like crawl scenes where he's like come in to my conference room sit have some drink let us talk (laughs) it's like "Eh, that's not what i'm here for guy um will you join me in the libation
0: to celebrate the closure of our uh, joint narrative or whatever
1: (laughs) we are not so different you and
0: i (laughs) yeah i i would agree with you have you ever
1: heard shakespeare speaking and spoken in the original crawl ease they bring up Shakespeare in this one. This movie's full of
0: little weird, not weird, it's full of little throwbacks that I don't find offensive to what yeah. the original Star Trek idea is. It's Shakespeare, it's got the the music reference that we always talk about, like the so, someone makes a joke of, is this classical music while they're listening yeah. to the Beastie Boys?
1: See? Uh, That's a good use. At least they're acknowledging the fact that it's ridiculous. That it's old, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's listening to "Fight the Power." First of all, she says she likes the yelling in it, which I think is yeah, funny. She likes the beats and the yelling. <laughs> like that's that's that. See, using it that way, it's actually involved in the story, and you're getting character information out of it. Other than, ooh, isn't this guy cool? Because he listens to the Beastie Boy. You know, yeah, yeah. They uh, Scotty mentions the giant green space hand.
0: Yes, he does. Yeah, in, in a way that I can't tell if he's joking, sort of, if he's making fun of the the novelty of space, or if he's actually experienced the floating green hand. But it's well, it's it's, well it, done. it's
1: in the closing credits. Oh, is it? I didn't notice it. Yeah, they do. As they're zooming through space, they go past the giant <laughs> green space. Hand. But you know, we missed a few of those in in Into Darkness that they were they were tossed out very quickly, and and I didn't. I, I don't know if they registered with you, but uh, I they let's put it this way: they only registered with me because I am now more steeped in Star Trek than I was the first time I saw Into Darkness. Like, right. uh Kirk, uh, Carol Marcus makes mention of her roommate, uh, Nurse Chapel. Oh, she does. Uh, interesting. Yeah, she says, uh, some, do, you, do you know who Diane Chapel or something Chapel is? And he's oh. like, uh, and she's like, yeah, she went off and became a nurse on this blah, blah, blah. She's
0: oh, like, oh that's, nice. that's a fairly good reference that I didn't pick up on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
1: there's there's a couple of those in Into Darkness that I think that they do fairly well. I honestly can't remember the other ones, but there's a couple of them. Uh, but yeah, they, they do a pretty good job in this, of, of that stuff. It doesn't, none of it feels offensive. None of it feels too winky. Yeah. Um, it, it
0: fits, rel- it fits pretty well into the story. At least it doesn't feel distracting as to why they're talking about it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed this one much more than I enjoyed the other two. It's just like, for what you were talking about for the villain and hero motivation, like it's surprising that something like Into Darkness tried to do that, but didn't, didn 't get it to work for them like because yeah because Khan is on their side somewhat for yeah. a portion of that movie, so you think that that's the time where you get to know each other and you're gonna have conversations, and then when he hijacks the vengeance is when the difference of opinion comes out at that point, and yeah. there's kind of the the change at,
1: at, in that um section of the movie this one what what even is like if you wanted to get down to that ethos argument what what is really the thing that Kirk and Khan are not on the same page about? You know what I mean? Like there's they no- don't have
0: any. They, they, but I would say that Khan is much more of a Bond villain, where he just wants yeah. to destroy the world, and K- Kirk is the only man who can stand in his way.
1: Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing interesting. Like a, a, again, I joked about it, but Khan's entire motivation is he just wants his kids back.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and it's and, it's, it, and the know, longer
0: he doesn't get them, the angrier he gets, and is more yeah, willing to take it's it out not, on people. It's
1: not particularly compelling. Yeah. No yeah matter, this no this matter one, how slowly and deeply Benedict Cumberbatch says his lines.
0: <laughs> it just uh, Elva should have done a personation of that to do an homage to the the prior performances before him. Crawl is Crawl is not that way. Um and I, I think I think Crawl works. Crawl is definitely the best of the villains of the Kelvin movies, yeah, I think. I Even if he fu- it is kind of underwhelming towards the end. Um because I do think they could have fleshed out the uh the aspect of what his history is which which, the aspect of what his history is comes off as more of an easter eggy fan throw out to people like Mm -hmm. the fact that he exists during the romulan wars and the zindi war and stuff like that is explicit references to enterprise and um that it feels just it feels like you're just throwing in a not fan service, but you're just trying to link him to something at that point, and it's not really character work as much as saying this character came from this point of view or this era of the well, franchise and everything like that.
1: I don't know, because I, I, I honestly didn't uh, – the first time I saw it, I didn't put together that those were specifically Enterprise references. Yep. Um, and I just think – I think it works in the favor – sure, they're definitely they're definitely there for that purpose, but I think they're also there in service of – what he is as a character. Yeah, which he's is from someone...
0: a, a violent war time, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: and he's someone who, who existed before the Federation and tried to adapt to the Federation and couldn't do it. I, I, I think that's,
0: I think maybe that's fundamentally the weakest part of him is that it, it's kind of just a leap in logic to go like, oh yeah, he's a soldier, he just couldn't fit in after that. Like mm-hmm. He doesn't have a specifically good story as to why unity doesn't work for him. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't have an example of how the Federation is failing. He's just like, I liked it back in the old days and I want to go back to the old days.
1: To be fair, I think that's kind of by design. I don't think that he is, has been uh, sitting there for 200 years or whatever, uh, writing his thesis about why the Federation is a, is bad policy. Yeah. I think it's more that he has, (laughs) you you know, he's forgotten who he is and he's been, he's the He's part of something he doesn't want to be a part of and probably doesn't really think is going to work. It ends up proving him right by getting his crew st- stranded and everybody dying. And so he's there basically stewing in his own anger for 200 years or however long it is, as he uh, uh, regresses or turns into this alien driven by uh, just gut anger and, and, and not not really revenge, but anger. Yeah. Um. And so I don't. I don't think that he needs like. He's
0: not very intellectual. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't think he needs like a debate team retort to the concept of the federation. Uh, you know, because I think he's he's taking his core, w- what his core problems are, and they're just amplifying themselves after being stewed in for so long.
0: Yes, and I, I think the movie, the movie as it's constructed, doesn't really need him to do anything sure, like yeah. that. I I I view it as something of a. Villain weakness, just in the sense that his his actions seem a little bit divorced from His actions just seem sort of like the movie villain must hate the federation. this mm-hmm. is why he hates the federation like and you don 't really have time to to stew on that or anything There's action sequences to go through i don't think he particularly suffers very much as a character, but if you were to move it in a more star trekky direction. Where they, uh, he and Kirk interacted with each other, you, you, I think you need that at that point. If they had sure, spent more yeah. time together, I would have been less understanding of his, I just don't like the Federation viewpoint.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think, uh, that is the byproduct of the way that they have it set up is that if they do get more time together, you do need to flesh out what his actual problem is.
0: <laughs> it's just a scene of Kirk's going, That's it? He's like, Yeah, just don't like the Federation. He's like, Really? Then yeah, screw you over? And he's like, No, just I don't I don't like their ideology. I I don't like the bundle of sticks metaphor at all.
1: Yeah, and Kirk is just like, I mean, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> we can fix your, your disease here. We, can, we Yeah, have you seen the Yorktown? It's pretty amazing. Can we talk I mean, about it's... the
0: Yorktown, actually? The, the Yorktown's are a great Star Trek set, and that's going oh, to— Oh, it looks um, great. Yeah. I'm going to—we've talked before about uh, Star Trek sometimes has to pay uh, special attention, I feel, to not looking like a Star Wars movie. I think mm. I think it's very important that they distinct uh, they they have a distinct look from Star Wars. I think visually, this movie really excels at that. This looks yeah, like a updated Tos '60s set to me mm-hmm. in all the right ways, and the Yorktown feels appropriate. Like that feels like a Star Trek thing that wouldn't really work in Star Wars for some reason, mm-hmm. and just the sets of the alien planet, the sets of people hanging out in uh, on the York in, in the Yorktown or whatever. It all really works, and I think it it looks distinct from Star Wars, but it looks updated, and I think it's important that Star Trek maintains a distinctiveness from Star Wars. It's very—I think it's easy to—because Star Wars is so in the zeitgeist, it's easy to, like, uh, unintentionally copy their aesthetic in a lot of ways, and I think they
1: avoid it here pretty well. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think uh, what's interesting about this one that they don't do in the last two— is uh the the one of the key differences between Star Trek and Star Wars is Star Trek has star bases. Mm-hmm. Star Wars does not generally have that.
0: No, except just for Death star.
1: the Death Star and Star Killer base, but that's a planet. It's not go- it doesn't move or anything. It's right. I mean, it's not, it's not ma- I mean I guess it's man-made, but it's it's not it doesn't count. It doesn't have it doesn't have uh um the deep space nine type base. And uh uh Playing that up, I think was was great because yeah, it, it, planet to planet is whatever. But the idea of in Star Trek is that you're not necessarily near a planet because you are out there trekking amongst the stars, so to speak. Yep. And uh, uh, so having the star base is great, and the yeah, the design you def that's definitely not a Star Wars design. You would not see that in Star Wars.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Just the the sort of interlocking rings where. It's city on both sides of the ring, so there's no up or down in it because right, you're yeah. in space at that whatever,
1: point. Yeah, whatever the gravity is, is relative to wherever you are at the time. Yeah,
0: and they, they insultingly call it a snow globe and stuff. It <laughs> does look like a snow globe, but it, it's cool. And I, I even like the visual sequence. I I think all of the shots in this are just better than what Abrams does. Like Everything is mm-hmm. more interesting when the Enterprise enters the, uh, the starbase and everything. When characters are just walking down the hallway, even when... When the, uh, the ship gets attacked and it starts losing gravity, which is something it did in both of the prior movies, I think it looks better here for yeah. some reason. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. I, the, well, they, the, the camera is not constantly moving in this movie. Right, yeah. You know, the, the, the smaller scenes get smaller camera, um, and I think, uh, I think it actually stands out having watched all three of them back to back, how, how much different this movie is visually than the first two. Cause they're not doing this, the lens flare thing, which I think I, I don't think the lens flares are bad. Um, maybe they went overboard and, and into darkness. I don't know. Um, but I think that uh, the visuals are just so much clearer in this movie and uh, the makeup. Oh my God. The makeup is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jayla's makeup is awesome. Uh even those like little side goons that she beats up when she meets Scotty, their makeup is fantastic uh, <laughs> who's makeup is great I don't know they're just other people who are on the planet okay um crawl's makeup is great his both of his henchmen, the girl and the guy, their makeup is great. The girl with the face hugger head thing is cool, yeah, yeah, it's just all really, really well done. The design is great, the execution is great um in a way that it feels a lot more. Uh, of a piece here than it does in the first two the first two some of that stuff feels a little throwaway yes um but here it all feels like it's considered equally
0: it um i think the sign of sort of bad directing or maybe good directing good directing i think hides intention well Mm -hmm. like you don't you don't go oh he's moving the camera because he thinks it looks cool and it's like this like there's no good direction kind of hides why you're doing something in a lot of ways. And I think that Abrams is pretty unsubtle with how he likes to have things framed and look. And um, the spectacle, I guess, is bigger. But I think that what's funny is that coming from a Fast and the Furious guy, you think it would be the other way around, but it's really not. He's actually more reserved than Abrams is.
1: Yeah. I think the other, another big difference between Star Trek and Star Wars that gets muddled in these movies and they remember it in this one is that Star Wars is generally about movement um it, it's a lot once things get rolling in Star Wars they tend not to stop unless i mean i guess empire strikes back they kind of you know slow down a bit but still you've even even when you've got luke on dagobah training with yoda your other story is is a chase story where they're trying to chase down uh, han and leia on the falcon and stuff it's a very active very uh forward moving movie which is you know one of the reasons why when they do a flashback in The Last Jedi, I found it so jarring because it's not a, Star Wars is not about dwelling on the past and like re, revisiting that visually. It's all forward momentum. Star Trek is a lot more, and even uh, traveling in Star Wars, planet to planet. Who knows how long it takes to get anywhere? It's you know you hit your hyperdrive and you know you you go to your map screen, you yep. pick your waypoint, and then you you show up there.
0: Put a little um, Chiron in the bottom left of the screen so that people know where yes. you are at this point.
1: Yeah, Star Trek has always been a lot more about space and about the vastness of space and the, in uh, in some cases, the monotony of space or the loneliness of space. Yeah. It's a lot more about, it's kind of a lot more about being still in space yeah. than Star yeah. Wars is. It's
0: getting stuck in um, places is a big part of Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> Star exactly. Trek, yeah. It's
1: like 90% of Star Trek is people being stuck somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think they, in these movies, the first two very much operate in that Star Wars sensibility where everything is constantly moving, constant, the camera's constantly moving, people are constantly moving, even quiet scenes, the camera's moving around or it's shaking or something. So you don't get any of that consideration of stillness and space that Star Trek brings to the, to the table. Yeah. This movie you do. Like the, that opening captain's log sequence with Kirk is amazing. I yeah. think that's the best Star Trek thing full stop in all three of these movies, because you get a sense of where they are, how he's feeling about stuff. You get a sense of the crew of the ship, which makes which in turn makes you feel that much worse when the place gets destroyed 20 yeah. minutes later, and yeah. people start getting sucked out into space, and like they he, they manage to very quickly put faces to the rest of the crew. So when they start killing them, you feel bad about it instead of them just for uh, uh, later in the movie. I was watching with my girlfriend and as they they fly the Franklin out after they crash and crawl, you know, life sucks someone to turn him back into Idris Elba. uh, We were both like, who the hell is who did he life suck? Yeah. And then at that point she went, oh, my God, I forgot there was like 40 other people on the ship. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you don't see them. Right. When once, the, the, once the survivors, they, they beam in, yeah. Yeah, once they they start the escape, those survivors, the rest of the crew, you don't see them again. Yes. Um, yep. But in the first half of the movie, you see them a lot. And uh, the, the captain's log itself is a very, just in concept, is a very, um, is like sort of ruminating on the 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 situation they are currently in it's it's never like the crawl of star wars where it's like this is what's going on this is what you need to know so you can dive into this battle it's always the captain's log is always here's the situation we're going to bring you into it at a fairly boring point in the situation yeah you know it's never captain's log stardate blah, blah, blah 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 the enterprise has been flying through klingon space into the neutral zone for five days and uh, that's how it is. Hard cut to Romulans like flanking you, blasting the shit out of your ship. Yeah, the captain's log is always. Ne- captain's legs never war. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Ne- yeah, it's never the dead speak. Um. So, and I think this movie does a great job of 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 re- reintroducing the Star Trekiness to Star Trek.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I and off of the opening scene, what I think it really does well in terms of Star Trek is that. It takes a different angle on what you accept as this is what Star Trek TOS is like. Like they're they're on their five year mission, but the original series never got into how fucking boring a lot of it must have been, or who's having sex in the crew. Like how are sexual relationships being managed? Like what's Kirk's mindset when he's not chasing someone with a phaser or like sliding down a mountain? Like what's he? He's he's doing a lot of science, ostensibly, and he's like he's doing a lot of diplomacy and things like that not really Kirk's strong suit. What, what does he think about when he's not doing things uh, that are action-based and things like that? It, it, it feels completely within character of what T.O.S.'s uh, sort of outlook was while also going somewhere different with it. And if I, if I think I have a big problem across all of the Kelvin movies, including this one, I really don't like what they did with Spock in a lot of ways. Mm. I, think they, I think they made him emotional, for no good reason really yeah. like they, there's no real examination of what this means i think he's inconsistent across the three movies and i also think that he's he's surprisingly
1: unimportant in the movies too like he he yeah for as much as they put him up front he kind of is yeah he
0: like he doesn't he never really has a i don't think there's a single great uh, kirk and spock scene in any of these movies
1: yeah they're all kind of awkward like yeah, I, I it's I think it's part of it is uh, you don't really get a lot of time with them at all. Yeah. Um, but in this one, like in this one, the the main Spock and Kirk sequence is when they're both on the elevator together and they're not really talking because it's awkward.
0: Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the joke I did like of this one was uh, when Spock reveals that they can find where they are because of Uhura's necklace. Yeah. It's like you gave her a great. tracking device. Yeah. That was not intentional, but yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's clever. But I I think that. I don't I think Spock is overly, like uh, the, th- the scene that really stuck out for me was I did not like when Bones pulls out the, the uh, piece that's stuck in Spock, right? And Spock oh, like yeah, screams yeah. in pain. That's not how I'd play that character. Like if you want to show severe pain in Spock, he grimaces or something like mm. the, breaking him just to show enough of uh, breaking him to show any discomfort is enough to show how much Spock is in pain you know what i mean right
1: yeah yeah they they definitely made a choice with the uh revamp of this to make Spock a more emotional character which kind of you know it's it's weird because i don't think i picked up on this watching the movies uh previously but having watched them all so close together um, it's more weird in these movies when Spock does Spock stuff. Yeah. Like when he, cause like we said in the last one, they seem to make him kind of more robotic in the last one, at least for the, the beginning of the movie anyway. And it, it feels weird because this character that they've created is by his nature more emotional than the original Spock. So when you try, within that setup, to try to have him be more like Spock, original Spock, it feels weird. Uh, so when you have him saying stuff like, you know, the horse shit line, where he's uh, he's like, I don't, uh, I don't understand what excrement of any kind has to do with the situation. Like, that's right. a data line. It is you know, a data line. That's not a Spock yeah. line. Um, and it feels weird having him do that robotic stuff when you also, in the same movie, arguably in this case in the same scene, have him doing something very unspock-like as far as, you know, crying or yelling out in pain because they're pulling this thing out of her or whatever. Or or laughing. I
0: think think they screw up the scene where he starts laughing and they play it for a joke where McCoy goes, oh, he's going delirious at this point. That's To me, that works. Like, if Spock Mm. actually starts showing emotion because he's losing his grip on things or he's dying... Yeah. That feels realistic, but they play that as a joke mostly, where McCoy is like, "Oh, he's laughing, that's funny." "Oh, wait, it must mean something else."
1: Yeah. Like I yeah, I think I think that works better if your Spock is not quite as emotional yeah. as he yeah. is in the And you know, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's taste at this point, right? Cuz it's like like I said, they made a conscious choice to make Spock a more emotional character. That's just what they did. Yeah, it's, but
0: without a goal, I would say. Like They, sure, they weren't I sure agree. why yeah. they wanted to do that, and then no movie was able to really answer why they should be doing it.
1: And he never addresses it, really. Like, it's never – they never make it a struggle for him in either direction after the first movie. Like, I, well, I guess the second one they kind of do, because that's sort of his thing about why he doesn't show emotion. Yeah, it's, it's his arc, but right it, right it doesn't
0: but. feel like it's like – Yeah, it doesn't feel like, like, like yeah, it, yeah.
1: Who cares, yeah. But yeah, like there's no Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. No, it's it's too bad. I,
0: I think you're right about him being basically portrayed as Data. And I think that like the reason Nimoy was so great at playing Spock and because the writing they didn't play them like the lack of emotion does not make you an idiot in social right. circumstances. Right. Like that's yes. what Data's thing is, because data doesn't understand interaction on that level. Spock is aware of emotional trauma that he can cause to people. What he's saying, what him saying, it's not that he would be like inconsiderate or ignorant of what he's saying and how it hurts people. He would just, his outlook on it would be, this is the way I am. This is the way we choose to be. Therefore, I'm going to tell you the truth in this situation. And I know what the consequences are going to be from it.
1: Yeah. Spock gets jokes. Yes. He doesn't laugh. Yeah. He doesn't laugh. He gets them and he doesn't, he understands uh you know uh vulgar vulgar parlance. he just doesn't use it you know it's not like he's he's never experienced uh, humans talking to him before right <laughs> yeah yeah and it's I, I think i think part of it most likely is that much like Kirk being this horned up uh thin character who's only there to punch and and screw people uh the 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 public understanding of of spock is basically more data like yeah and so in creating these movies and these new characters i think giving spock more emotion was probably the uh based in this idea where it's like well you know a character with no emotion is just – it's not really fun to act. It's not really – a it, It's inert. How,
0: how can you generate yeah. any drama with this character who doesn't emote things? Yeah,
1: Right. So, you know, we need to create this struggle between both sides of his character in order to create this – you know, you could – a great actor could really sink their teeth into this role. And I think a great actor did sink his teeth into this role, and his name was Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. He yeah. managed to – like, I wouldn't say – I don't think – I wouldn't look at any – nimoy spock performance and say that he's a bad actor or this character is not worth doing because he's not limited yeah he's not he's not limited in some way he's not limited because all of that stuff is so internal and you can see that like the best spock stuff you can see all of the emotions that he's going through if he even if he's not you know visibly weeping on screen (laughs) (laughs) and also I think like that you, can, you get more from a, Sp- uh, a Nimoy Spock scene with Sarek, where he like pauses an extra long time before he says his lines, yeah, than yeah. anything you get from this Spock where he's like, you know, screaming nope. and waving his fists in the air. The Spock um,
0: Sarek scene at the end of Voyage Home is still my favorite written Star Trek scene of all time because yeah. in the script, they are talking to each other like Vulcans. They're just saying, How are you? Good to be back. How is mother? all this stuff. Mm. But the, the two actors who are, who are the two best Vulcans that have ever played any of the Vulcan roles. Well, they originated the concept. They originated the concept and no one seems to be able to imitate them or like to take what they were putting down. But they're, yeah. the conversation is just loaded with the subtext of, as you're saying, how they're pausing, how they're looking at each other. Like it's all nonverbal between the two of them that portrays how they actually feel. And mm.
1: It's it's just much better that appeals, than
0: weeping-eyed Spock in these movies, yeah.
1: And that appeals to you as a emotionally distant father.
0: Exactly. I can just shut down and just say, how are you? How's mother? Good. Good to see you. Goodbye. <laughs> no not even shake hands. Just say goodbye.
1: No eye contact.
0: Uh, was that the... I think that was all I... Yeah, that, I mean... Oh, and just my final point on the Spock thing is that uh, it also kind of doesn't show... Terrific, or maybe it's hard in this movie, but terrific understanding of why the trifecta of Kirk McCoy and Spock are important. Because when Spock cannot emote or make the emotional argument, that's what McCoy is there
1: for. Exactly. So exactly. And, they, and, they become a fuller character by interacting with each other. Yeah, and I think the I think the biggest failing of these three movies, character wise, is they never establish those three as like a unit. Yes, I think they. Like in this one, this is the movie where you would really be able to do that, and they don't do it. They establish Kirk and Bones pretty well across these three movies, as you know what their relationship is, and um, they're clearly friends, and and how they talk to each other and stuff. But Spock never feels like he's part of that group, and he never really feels like. I don't feel like the Kirk of these movies is going to Spock for help or no, he's for he certainly
0: i was surprised that kirk nominates him to replace him as captain it's like really spock like he's yeah he, you don't seem to really like the guy
1: yeah they just don't have any time together to to build their relationship because in the, in the first two movies the first movie they're at odds the second movie they're at odds but when they're not at odds they you know kirk's dead yeah they just don't have any time to really build them as characters but uh, Bones serves the purpose that every time you dip in with him and Kirk, you feel like that they are friends and 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 confidants.
0: Yes, yes, we get a better chemistry between those two. I, yeah, I don't um, I don't know what it is. It might it might fundamentally come down to this Spock performance about what they were doing. I think the script is more important because they they are limited in the amount of time that they yeah, spend with each yeah. other. Um, it is well, too it's, bad.
1: And it's tough too, because you have to kind of pick and pick your battles. I guess is like what you want to do with your movie. I think this this is successful because you know, as I was saying, it it focuses more on like the vastness and the stillness of space. But that doesn't mean that it's boring. There's right. a lot of action in this movie. Um, I think because you're only working on three movies as opposed to an entire history of television. You, if you're going to make a movie about the relationship of Spock and Kirk, you kind of have to make a movie about the relationship of Spock and Kirk. Yeah. They don't do that here.
0: I, I, I think I think the biggest uh, rock around the neck is Into Darkness. I think Into Darkness was yeah, a big so, misstep too. in what they decided yeah. to do there. That should have been the Spock and Kirk uh Yes, building epi- yeah. uh, movie and it, it didn't Absolutely.
1: happen.
0: Yep, it's too bad because yeah, you could if if that if Into Darkness was about building the trifecta of those three, um, this movie makes sense where it is then because then you can split them apart again and their sort of characterizations can go off with the other characters right. and make sense. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and what happens in Into Darkness? I think. Uh, could could have have been. <laughs> they were trying to copy. They
0: were just so obviously trying to get the the dark second ep movie, like the Empire yeah. movie, out of yeah, it, and it's just literally failed.
1: called Into Darkness. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think they very easily could have focused on the relationship of of the of the trifecta there, and and even within the same movie, probably had a more satisfying story, but they didn't. Yeah,
0: my because question. The argument there about, is about con- you have to modernize the argument about Khan at that point where it's those three butting heads about what the best way to deal with this guy is
1: yeah like there's no point where you have the three of them in a conference room and Bones is like this guy's insane he's a monster he's a he's a, a medical freak there's no way we can trust him and and Spock is like well I mean logically his Strength. We do have what he wants, and logically, he would be able to work with us. And his strength is an asset. Like, yeah, we, we need him. He,
0: he's the best of us. It's logical to use him.
1: Yeah, like even a scene like that would really have done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question is, what does this? uh It seems more and more unlikely that we're going to get another one. Yeah. Um, I hope that we do. Because I think that the number one thing that I've I've pulled from watching these is that there is so much potential here. And I feel like this movie comes the closest to realizing that potential. But even then, it's kind of too little too late for the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the future of uh, theatrical Star Trek is? Do you think there is a future or do you think it's going to be just now that streaming is a thing, that's where Star Trek lives?
0: I think they could do movies. Um, I mean, on a technical level, the movie side and the TV side have been combined under the parent company again. Right. Uh, so there's not that friction there about what they can and can't do between the two of them. Because um, who, uh, who's the Fargo? Noah, Crawl, Noah Cawley, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's doing the next one. And I think he said he's oh, not sure if he's that. using the Kelvin universe in it. Really? Yeah. So he would and I think he was also unsure this is it sounds like something it sounds like he's coming up with an idea that he's going to pitch and they're going to go no you have to use characters that people are yeah, familiar probably. with. Probably, yeah. Um so we'll see what happens with it but I think he would, he seemed like in the interview who he, he was inclined in towards creating a brand new crew for his movie. Interesting. A like brand
1: new ship and brand, brand new, crew, new ship or and like, everything yeah really? so it
0: wouldn't be related it wouldn't be pre-existing canning it could win best original screenplay oh maybe not because star trek is in the title <laughs> yeah but um i i don't know i i'm still somewhat concerned about whether or not star trek works to its fullest as a movie set right. at this point yeah. um and honestly the biggest weakness, I think, from – we opened this talking about how there's only three of these is that Star Trek is so dependent on getting to know the relationships that mm-hmm. if you're limited in a movie, it will never really feel like it's a Star Trek thing.
1: Yeah. This one uh, – I mean, actually, all three of them it feels like there's a lot – it almost feels like these movies – existed at the end of seasons of television and that we just never got to see the t- the episodes
0: yeah because all that stuff happens in between the movies sort of yeah yeah
1: yeah um yeah i'll be interested to see what happened i i i love star trek movies i th- i i really enjoy the when star trek gets a big budget um but arguably, I mean, if you look at Discovery, it's not like they're doing anything on Discovery that's less than what they would do in a movie at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, visually it all looks pretty pretty good. Um
0: I, I, I do feel that I have a I do have kind of a special thing where the movies do feel like the end of a series, and it's, yeah. it's a way to like take the series and then you do something that you could never do in the series, and you can change things up a little bit the t right. West movies certainly feel that way in how they approach like the concept of aging overall six of them it feels like and then the t and g movies kind of feel like they never knew really knew what they wanted to do, so they're all very different from each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's kind of interesting i just i just don't know if I would create a movie set and be as invested in it without it having some kind of season of tv backing
1: in front of it. right yeah yeah and as far as like a a, a wholly original movie i think that's a tough sell
0: it is that's very hard like
1: yeah because i mean you couldn't they couldn't get people to come see a movie featuring characters they did know yes you know i it, it just selling uh at that point, why even call it Star Trek? You know, because I I think that's part of it too. Is I I enjoy seeing things I recognize. I enjoy seeing characters I recognize. Yeah. Uh, and the movies are usually where that happens. Like you can you can go off and do shit on Deep Space Nine that I don't know anything about, but I can also go to the movies and see the TNG crew fighting the Borg or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because um, as much as we as much as we kind of shit on canon not shit on it but we don't we don't view it as ultimately all that important it is important mm. that the movies feel of the universe and yeah not to say that if you started off in the new cast it would feel totally disconnected because you could obviously reference prior stuff but it does feel like the baby steps you can take away from what people know are just baby steps before it's too far removed and then no one cares about it
1: right exactly yeah um I think that's
0: all I have to say about this one. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Should we just start to, uh, the wrap-up process and we can give kind of... oh, well, I guess we've done uh, final thoughts about the trilogy as a whole. But, uh, I mean, I think that... I Beyond is a top four Star Trek movie for me.
1: Yeah, I, I agree.
0: Um, and had, ahead of it would be Voyage, Wrath of Khan, and... Ooh, maybe First Contact. This could maybe knock First Contact out of spot three for me. Really? I think wow. so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, it's weird because while, well, we'll see. I, I, I never owned this on, on DVD or anything before. So I I watched 2009 a lot more. Um, And I said during that show that I would put 2009 in probably my top four or even top three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I think this is probably right on the heels of that one. I think this is a better movie than 2009, but I, for some reason I find myself gravitating towards 2009 as something I go back to watch more frequently. Yeah. That's really surprising
0: I to me. I, I find it so forget, I've almost completely forgotten what 2009 is about on some. Yeah. Alpha. I
1: don't know. I don't know why it is. I, I, it, and it's not. You know, I, I think it was because at the time it 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 was this big return to Star Trek, and it was the only other Star Trek thing I was watching, so I kind of have a bit of a soft spot for it.
0: Yeah, just a, a but, distinct memory of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I do like the style of it. Uh, I I do think it's fairly inventive as as how it reinvented things. Um, but I do think this is a be- the best movie, just as far as Star Trek movie movie in this trilogy this is definitely the best one what happened to you out there Edison Edison I have to say Kirk I've missed being me we lost ourselves but gained a purpose ...a means to bring the galaxy back to the struggle that made humanity strong. I think you underestimate humanity. I fought for humanity! Lost millions to the Zinti and Romulan wars! And for what? For the Federation to sit me in the captain's chair and break bread with the enemy!
0: We change. We have to. We spend the rest of our lives fighting the same battles. I'll put up, uh, I'll recalibrate my rankings and put, I'm not going to do it now, but I'll put it up on the website uh, and people can look at it there. So go to the Penske file dot, uh, Penske oh, we podcast. didn't even, uh,
1: we didn't even mention the, uh, the picture of the, uh, to, the TOS movie crew oh that, yeah uh, very much things. very much
0: confused amy we had to have a five-minute conversation about. What, she's like is that is that a picture of him like why does he look so different like what a terrible insertion to have the original cast picture just replace these new actors like no this is a a timeline split and then her, her eyes glazed over at that point yeah
1: yeah i mean it's a nice you have to do that you do with, yeah. with that situation yeah yeah
0: no I, I like it i like it too um Nimoy died before this, right? He must have. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then um, yeah, Nimoy and Yelchin yeah, died before Yelchin, it came yeah. out,
1: obviously, but he was in it. Yeah. Which is, man, that that's still so very strange.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, just a weird, freak death of of yeah. getting like a car running over yourself, which is just you know bizarre that it would actually happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so go to com and have the ratings for the movies. I'll re-rank the movies after I think about it. I won't have time to do it now and say it on the air, but uh, you can go there, check that out if you're so interested. I think that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you very much. You can join the uh, or support the show at patreon.com slash file. It's the best way to do it. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff and uh, extra podcasts, extra videos, extra live streams, things like that every once in a while. Special thanks go to the Captain Tier. Andrew Sherlock, Ben Douglas, Captain Court, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Yarpy, Jeffrey Coke, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Baird, Matt Courier, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Meg, Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Ode, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark, Latif, Tom Hiles, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Whew. We're done. Social media, all down below. Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. I'm going through 30 days of DS9 on the social media. You guys can follow me there. I think I'm up to day whatever it is now, 20 on that, so we're almost done, but you can go back and check them out. And I think that's pretty much it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Any new podcasts coming out?
1: Uh, You can check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show with me and Amanda, who joined us on the Wes Craven uh, episodes of Real Ripe and Real Rotten. Where we cover the uh, movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. And I think, I don't know when this is coming out, but we should have at least one episode out by this point.
0: Yes, The Shining is out now. So if you guys are interested in hearing Clan and Amanda talk about horror movies, you can check out The Shining. Just go to thepenskifile.com, thepenskyfile.com. Um and there was something else I wanted to say about that. Oh, just we're doing the Oscars for Real Ripe and Real Rotten. So we've recorded Parasite, and that'll be out soon if it's not out already. And then we have the Joker coming out after that, and then we'll do a B-roll. So we're doing the Best Picture nominees, the highest and the lowest rated. Highest was Parasite, lowest was Joker.
1: It's really interesting to me because I wouldn't have guessed that jo- – well, yeah, maybe I would have. but <laughs> that I wouldn't below. have guessed that Joker was the lowest, but Joker definitely feels like more of a B-roll movie. To me. Yes. Where it's yeah. like it's good. But it's not like the one that I would go to to talk about.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'm interested in, in talk I mean the Joker Joker is really just interesting to me because we had like a full-blown moral panic before that movie came out. People <laughs> were like they yeah. were like you cannot
1: show a movie like this yeah. and then
0: it came out and no one gave a fuck and it's like what a ridiculous yeah. situation we find ourselves in.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Um yeah, we can get into that when we want. When we we'll get
0: into it. Maybe. So if you guys are interested in Joker, you can follow that at the... Plinsky but not too
1: interested, because that's where the problems start.
0: Probably. Go out and have People sex, too you fucking incels. In Joker. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. You guys, we're done with the Kelvin movies. They were barely here, and now they're gone. But hopefully you enjoyed the coverage. We're starting Picard. I guess that's a good place to wrap this up. Picard will start yeah. this week. We'll be doing that on Friday. The podcast will probably come out later Friday, because... Picard airs on Thursday night, so we'll be recording on Friday. I'll try to get the podcasts out as soon as possible, so you can look forward to those coming out on Fridays going forward. So Picard stuff will be on Friday. To
1: seeing, I'm looking forward to seeing those new uniforms, mm-hmm. those new pins. Did you watch the video of Siroc Lofton
0: giving his embargo breaking review of it?
1: No, I just I saw the 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 cliff notes of it, but I didn't watch it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's um, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see. I, A lot of, lot of costume talk. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a tremendous amount of costume talk. They, I mean, they were being extremely vague because it's basically a video that's sure. trying to capitalize on being out there without being able to actually say anything about right, it. Right, Um But it sounds to me it's going to – it has Discovery's writing problems, it seems, but it's also slower at the same time. Mm, so we'll okay. see. Because none of them were particularly – enamored with the writing at this point um Mm. but it also sounds through three episodes that Picard is not in space yet oh all right so we'll see we'll see all right guys Picard starts this week you can check it out this will come out the day uh, Picard comes out tonight actually because this podcast will come out on Thursday so Picard is out tonight enjoy it we'll be back tomorrow with a podcast about it and I think that's it all right see you later